Welcome to Kitchen Table, candid conversations about sex, relationships, and being human. I'm Brittany Paula Castro. I'm Nick Anthony, and today we're talking to Dr. Timory Smith about the history of sex. Oh! Mm. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that make things. Oh, I thought it was that it brings. I thought it was that maybe. I think you're right. So right. <laughs> I'll give you it today. <laughs> we're talking about sex today. Yes. And not just sex, but we're talking about the history of sex. History of sex today. There should be a lot of history there, right? Oh, there's history. <laughs> yeah. And we're talking to a very dear colleague and friend of both of ours yeah, we've for known many years. And yeah, in, in different times and spaces for like a long, long time. Long time. Yeah. So Dr. Timory is a PhD level sexologist. And so you're going to get the good stuff. Like stuff we, when I hear her talk about this kind of stuff, I'm like, Holy shit. Captain <laughs> boss mode. Like what? Nice. Yeah. There's, I love this kind of conversation because I like, there's so much that's like flipped on its head back in the day, mm -hmm. like years and years and hundreds of years ago. And you're just like, Oh, how did we get here? <laughs> like what the fuck? Bumping around and like eyes closed in the dark, basically. Yeah. What? <laughs> like in terms of how we got here, I mean, it's been bumpy. That's what I'm saying. Oh, it's been the road's been bumpy. It's been bumpy. I, I thought, thought well, when you I said I thought that would have you would have captured that by what I was saying. When but. you said eyes closed, bumping in the dark, I more went to like a sexual experience. Because oh. <laughs> we of are course. talking about sex. So I was like, are you talking about sex in the dark bumping around? <laughs> Of course you would go to. So I, I give you Don't experience. slut shame me. I'm not shaming you, but it's just, I'm not surprised. Not yeah, surprised my mind goes to, to sex like all the, very similar to like a, I don't know, like a teenager would all That's the time. Good. I don't I want that experience with you. Oh, I just don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my mind. Like I'm like, <laughs> like dick or like, <laughs> like, or, you know, like I. You said the most direct words that lead directly to sex. I thought you were going to say something a little more obscure that like would make you think of sex. Oh no. I'm saying like when I see things, no, I mean, when I see things, I think, I don't know, like like a cucumber and I'm like, ah, cock, like, yeah, I, like stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. No, I don't, not saying like dick makes me think of dick. <laughs> you just put the words you just said. They were very just clear and straightforward. Like, oh yeah, I would think of sex if I heard those. If words. I heard dick. No, I just don't have it in my mind. Right. Now. Like whenever I see a big cucumber, I'm always like, I wonder what that would feel like in my pussy. <laughs> be completely honest wow that's a big share right there that's yeah, a big share, I mean, <laughs> that's, a big the share. The that's what i think about that's what i think Look. about i also love cucumbers you know they're delicious i think that's clear i think that's very clear based i on love them. me some cucumbers i love me some cucumbers okay this conversation is devolving quickly which is amazing let's bring it back with uh some history of sex oh yeah <laughs> welcome to kitchen table I'm Brittany. I'm Nick. And today we have the pleasure of talking to a very dear friend and colleague, Dr. Timory Schmidt. Dr. Timory has a PhD in human sexuality education and has worked in the field for more of her life than not as a classroom instructor, writer, podcaster, HIV prevention counselor, and more. Welcome, Timory. Hello, friends. Thanks for having me. Hi, friend. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we're so happy to have you here to have this conversation, a conversation that I've heard a bit because you and I have done a lot of work together, which has been such a joy. And, you know, before we even get into that, I just really want to highlight that Timory is in my life responsible for so much that has happened in the last like six years or five years. We met at a time when lots of shit was changing and my relationship with sex and sexuality was just like blossoming and growing. And all of a sudden you and I were working together and I was like, holy shit. So (laughs) (laughs) when I heard you guys were going to work together, I mean, we've known each other for a minute outside of you knowing Brit and I'm just like, that's going to be good. That's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for being such an influence in my life, and especially my sexy life. Oh, my, my pleasure. <laughs> no, my pleasure. It's going to be an appreciation. Everyone. <laughs> okay. So you've been in this biz for a minute and you have a PhD in human sexuality. And I'm just curious how moving from that space has impacted your life? I don't understand the question. (laughs) (laughs) How has your life unfolded from that lens? Like you say you've been doing this longer than not, right? Oh, being a sexologist. Okay. Yeah. So I would say that the story is really that when I was a kid, I wanted to do like a lot of different things. And I think that ultimately it's turned out that I actually have done that. Like, you know, I wanted to be like, I think an astronaut veterinarian and it's definitely not that, but you know, I have like lots of unrelated gigs and I, and I do that now. But the moment that I heard that someone knew someone whose mom was like a sex therapist or something. I was like, that's a job. You can do that because like I had sort of de facto held that role in my friend circle and like at school, like you didn't even necessarily have to be like a friend of mine. I was just always a nerd and I was always very interested in sexuality. I had started like as an autodidact, just like teaching myself as a kid and gravitating towards that information. So when other people around me, it was becoming relevant to their lives. I had the information that apparently the school wasn't giving them, that their parents weren't giving them. And I think more importantly, just an approach of like listening without judgment and then being discreet, not like telling their stories to other people. Because I think that's really the big thing is like comfort with it and then the ability to like honor confidentiality. So I went to undergrad with the intention of going to be a sex therapist, got a psych degree, And while I was there, I started working in HIV prevention counseling and doing pure sex education stuff and becoming a a sex writer. I realized I didn't ultimately want to do therapy. That's not my skill set. But this has just sort of always been my calling and always been a thing that like I felt compelled to in the way that people describe going into the clergy, right? Like it was just like what you were built for and what you're supposed to go do for the thing that, that matters to you. Because I think that sexuality is one of the really core pieces of bodily autonomy and social justice and like individual freedom. You know, this is sort of like a paraphrasing of Foucault, but like if someone can tell you what to do with your own body in your own house, like by yourself or with another adult, like in some cases by yourself under the covers, like if they can tell you what to do, what can they not control? And so it has always just been a part of my life. And I think that it has dramatically shaped the way people perceive me and what they assume I'm getting into. But I think that the big piece is just literally comfort with sexuality. It's in many ways demystified for me, which has its pluses and minuses. So 
yeah, being a sexuality educator has definitely been the source of some of my greatest experiences. And it's also being an actual person who practices sexuality openly in the world has closed a lot of doors too. So for every door that having a PhD opens, it closes several others that I'm also like naked on the internet. So like people are comfortable with sex in theory much more than in practicality because <laughs> it's normal to have sex. It's not normal to talk about it. This just feels so ridiculous overall. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. It it's, really is. And I think that's the source of a lot of our confusion and disconnection and violence around sex is that dance between want and the desire and the supposed to have it, but not supposed to talk about it or only supposed to have it in a particular way, in a particular context, Mm -hmm. after you've done this or that or this. Super sus. The thing is, is like, I've increasingly been including in my discussions of sexuality, and we've been doing this in some of our workshops too, like having grace for all of those bad sources of information, having grace for even censorship, because it's not good. I don't think that anti-sex forces are smart or right. They should be fought with every tool that we have. However, the people that are doing this in our lives, who recreate these systems of oppression, who perpetuate these like ideas about like what bodies are okay and what sex is okay and like what gender is okay. The people who do that in our actual lives often are perpetuating those things because they just simply had the same thing told to them by the people who loved them. And if you've never been taught something, how are you supposed to know it? And if you don't know where to learn it, you know, people love to say like Google's free, but it's like, you know, Google's also full of people who understand how SEO works and they're trying to sell you yoni eggs and they're trying to like tell you that your stuff tastes bad. And like, it's really hard to educate yourself on sexuality in a way that's not really sex negative. And it's not just really capitalistic and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I want to also operate from a place of, even if your really bad sex messages came from places that you have complicated relationships with, just understanding that like, that doesn't mean they're bad people necessarily, but we just have to be the ones that break the cycle in the same way that you break the cycles of like intergenerational abuse, you know, in families and stuff like that. Same way. Somebody has to be the one who stops it. Yeah. No more. Let's talk with some like thoughtfulness around this thing. Well, with thoughtfulness and discernment, mm-hmm. I think discernment is a big piece of it as well. What does that look like? Like having that grace, have, creating that shift, being the one that makes the difference, that flips the script, so to speak. What might that look like? I guess it would depend on what source it is and what your relationship is with it. Like, for instance, I was raised Catholic and I'm just not going to be Catholic anymore. That's just that ship has sailed. I went through a period where I was very virulently anti-religion and I thought that anybody who adhered to a religion was inherently stupid. And I had to start fights with people on the internet for some reason because I was like 18. And I still completely understand people who want to have that reaction. It's justified in a lot of ways, but like I have decided it doesn't serve me. It doesn't change them. What is most useful for me is to just not be a part of that, to find grace for the fact that there are people I know who you know, they went through some terrible loss or some ordeal and their church was their community who supported them through it. And their faith was what that got them through a Wednesday, through a Thursday, through a Friday. And just to be like, okay, I don't have to involve myself in that. I can be mad about the way that the church has treated people historically and continues to perpetuate inequalities. But like, I don't have to, it doesn't get to take up rent in my head all day. 
I didn't invite it to the party. They don't get to be there. So the people who introduced me to Catholicism, I can continue to have a relationship with them like outside of it, like my family, right? We just don't have that in common. We just won't share that. And that's okay. And as long as they respect that I'm an adult and I'm allowed to make my own choices about my spirituality, I can do the same for them. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think in terms of religion for myself, like the judgmental portion of it is what repelled me the most outside of just being bored excessively while in church and like falling asleep. My dad like tried to, tried to get, get us to go to church when yeah. we were young and it just did not stick. We were just like, there's just so many other things we want to do right now. He's like, all right, cool. You don't have to go. And then he's like, like let up and we're just like, thank God we could do home and watch cartoons and eat breakfast. But uh, it's just that, like that the way, the weightedness of that is just, I don't know, just you would think there'd be more compassion in it, but then you're just like, wow, this is really judgy as hell. Like, there doesn't really feel like a lot of space to exist and like be unique. I grew up Catholic as well. And, you know, you make a point to Maria that everyone has their own relationship with what that means to them, right? And I think that for me, I also, you know, I experienced a lot of shame. My education around sex was abstinence education, which is for a lot of people. And yes, there was tons of judgment, but I'm not going to go and say it's, it's just the umbrella of the church. It's within my own family system that was there. I think we need to have a little bit more responsibility for each person and how they choose to be in relationship with something and to recognize that people are in relationships with things in different ways, as opposed to just umbrelling it, that it's just all religion, right? Um, I mean, there are some really shitty factors and points of religion in my experience that creates a lot of disconnection and divisiveness. And I think that it's really individually how we choose to connect with that. Absolutely. I think a lot of this is like, and it's really relevant because of what we're discussing and like what we're going to be discussing here about like non-monogamy and models of relationships and, and history of how we have conducted our relationships is that all of us are the descendants of beings that survived because they clung together in groups because we found small networks of people who would all throw in their lot together because like we will collaborate, we'll take care of each other. And if somebody endangers the group, we need to ostracize them. And so we are still in our heads able to survive when we adhere to group norms. It is a very strong pull for us to fit in with our group because that is survival. And we are fearful of being kicked out because that is death. And in reality now, in 2022, you can survive on your own to a degree that no one in history probably ever could. You can survive despite not, you know, being physically independent. Like you can be a disabled person and live outside of a family system in a way that wasn't true in, you know, decades and centuries past. But we still have that innate desire for belonging and we still want other people around us to stay in the group. So one of the things that parents will do is like, force their kids to conform out of this misguided sense that that's protecting them. And the ways that we have created our relationships are very much just about like security and making sure that we don't like die in the woods by ourselves, because that was really, really important for millennia of our ancestors to have that instinct. Yeah. And so how far back does this go when we talk about the history? Where do we begin <laughs> to get an understanding of how what we're operating with now has been shaped? Like, how far do we go? 
I mean, forever, right? Like you could yeah. go back to like the Big Bang if you want to discuss how like sexual reproduction started as a concept, right? I would point to what we have the best understanding of because a lot of this we're, you know, still piecing together through like anthropology and archaeology. And we look at everything through the slightly tilted lens of our own modern understanding anyway. So like we can only do so much with like evolutionary psychology. You know, it's not a real science because it's not falsifiable. But what we do know is that, again, like people started out in groups, small groups. They would take care of each other, that kind of thing, that the institutions of marriage, the idea of owning another person in a familial sense, like my children belong to me, came about when we started realizing that like, oh, if these two sheep bang, another sheep comes out in a predictable interval, you know? <laughs> like, like, I think those things are connected. You know, like when we started being agrarian and we started like keeping livestock is when we started to notice that sex plus time very often turns into baby creatures. And then we started to be like, oh, I wonder if that's where our babies come from. Because <laughs> it's like nine months is a pretty good chunk of time, you know? <laughs> I would love to have been at that just to be a fly on the on the on the bush that, that realization that of connect, someone's that connection. Like, oh, <laughs> sheep babies. Where does that sheep baby come from? There's something familiar here. <laughs> Is the sheep baby like the other baby? Well, well, think about the fact that we calculate the year and months, right? Like, just think about the fact that we've been doing that forever. Why would early people? have given a crap about the moon cycle? Why would they have cared about 28, 30 days? Because to half the population, you know, that was relevant to like their biology. Well, not necessarily even half the population because you have children and you have people who have aged out of menses, but it's menstruation, <laughs> you know, like that, like we organized ourselves around like the physical seasons and around the daylight and around what was happening in our bodies. So like, this slowly comes to us over time. And I'm sure that it varied across cultures because like, again, seasons and how much people had institutional memory for, you know, these kind of things. But then what we started to do is have this idea that like, these children are mine, they belong to me. And therefore I have to make sure that none of these children are actually someone else's. And that's when we started getting this idea of virginity and purity and needing wives to have not had sex with anyone else before because I don't want to be cuckolded, basically. <laughs> that's where the whole idea comes from. It's just like, I don't want to be raising some other person's genes. I don't want to use my resources to do that. I only want to use my resources on my biological children is the basis of that idea, which we can say, like, not only as people who understand that adoption is an option and <laughs> like there's lots of ways to be a family. Like that is a deeply not sustainable bad idea, you know? Like, <laughs> so maybe we don't need to adhere to it forever and act like it's, you know, like an innate part of being a person. Yeah. It's not the best. It's, defi <laughs> it's definitely not the best. What like time frame was that? Cause there's also this idea of like community, it takes a village. And that, that, that was a time where it was kind of this village mentality of taking care of children and stuff. And so how does that like differ timeline? I mean, it really depends on what region, right? Because there's still lots of people who do live in villages. That is still definitely true for many parts of the world. It is a very post-industrial Western idea that we are all in nuclear families and that that's, you are solely responsible for those people and you're on your own. Like that's a very modern Western post-industrial revolution idea. So it just really depends, but people have been living lots of different ways. Like cities have been existing for thousands of years. Like 
it just would, you know, sort of depend on what it took for you to survive. Like if you were a nomadic group, you probably were still operating with a larger, you know, idea of family. And that's still the case. Like there are still nomadic tribes in the world and they do have much bigger networks than just a nuclear family because that's necessary for survival. Yeah. And so how do relationships and marriage and all of that get put into play in this? So marriage has either been a sort of social construct that's basically like these two people are joining forces for the purposes of our like social understanding of them. And, you know, that's always been a religious thing. There've always been like rituals around that. But as a financial institution, as an economic institution, I mean, that's also pretty ancient as well, but that probably came later. And it has a lot more to do with once you started to have land owning, like in fiefdoms, right? <laughs> the idea that like, I own this piece of the earth somehow and all of the people on it. Like, <laughs> people started to have that idea. And then we started to be like, so what's going to happen to this land and all the people on it when I die? I want to make sure that it goes to my kids and I want to make sure that like, I don't lose all this. And so I'm going to join forces with someone else who has a bunch of land or I'm, if I don't have a ton of land, well, I'm at least going to get a bunch of cows in the deal or something like that. So it's very much an economic thing of like joining forces with nearby, whether it be a tribe, whether it be another country, depending on how much money you have and what the stakes are. But marriage has historically just been about that kind of survival. And even including among like the very working class, because most of history, this idea that like women stayed at home and men went out to work is actually a very new invention for most of history. Everybody works. You just had different jobs. And like, if your last name is Smith, that means your parents, your family probably Smith something. (laughs) If your last name is Baker, you probably (laughs) yeah yeah that kind of stuff and so it was like it was an economic joining of forces and marriage was about finding someone else who can run that family business with you that you can deal with and the idea that you would love them before you got married was kind of foreign you might fall in love because you formed a good institution together and you took care of each other but you know our earliest records of like love letters are mostly like courtly love. These are like knights that are in love with some lady that they can't ever get with because like, why would she marry a knight? Like she's going to marry a lord. It's like unrequited love. Well, not even necessarily unrequited. They might both like each other. Oh, okay. It's just like, they can't it's just be together. They can't. Yeah, because like he would definitely get stabbed in the neck, you know? <laughs> You look at Steph through a curtain. Yeah. <laughs> like, think about, like, the plot of Camelot, right? It's about, like, Lancelot being in love with Guinevere oh, yeah. and, like, you know, that kind of thing. Like, she married this guy because that's what her job is. She's supposed to marry a king. And then, but she was like, ooh, this guy's hot. <laughs> I love me some Lancelot. I do declare. I do declare I love me some Lancelot. So when did that shift? Because that's not necessarily. In some cultures, it's still the case, but in a lot, it's not. Oh, yeah. Plenty of people are still getting married like through either arranged marriages or just like actively going out on Coffee Meets Bagel and finding somebody that they can like form a good, you know, economic unit with. But the idea of romantic love being connected to marriage is, you know, an invention of the last like couple hundred years. And thanks to like working class families, we're like, the stakes are so low. I have so few things, you know, like I got like three cats. It doesn't even really matter. So (laughs) I'm going to marry this person who I actually am attracted to. And, uh, you know, it probably was kind of subversive at first. 
And like they had a name for it, like love marriages. They still call it that. Like, for instance, I have friends who are Indian who still would use the phrase like love marriages versus arranged marriage. Like it's still just a variation on the theme. But like in Western culture, we have a much more individualistic idea. So it probably started there a little sooner that you would just marry who you want to because you want to kind of idea. And then we just keep heaping on responsibilities to that person. So not only now do we love them, but they also have to be like, again, our our domestic partner, our co-parent our activities, friends, like our recreational partner. And then now we have this idea that they have to be like your soulmate and like meet like every single need (laughs) that you have. Impossible. Like impossible. But I definitely was drinking that Kool-Aid like at a certain point in my life. It was just like, I'm going to meet the one. Like when I was single for a long time before I met Brit, like just before I met Brit. I sent you a message when I was absolutely saturated and done with all my- Yeah, on OkCupid, okay, we met. done. I was just like, oh, I'm over this. I want to send this last message. Oh, she's, she's doing interesting things. Oh, look at her. Just uh, running around, dancing in the rain. I, I said, nice rain. Nice rain dance. And that's it. And then that just turned into 10, 11 years. 10, of, almost 11 years. Of, uh, from, of awesome. I don't even think at this point, like, I would respond. I'd be like, you yeah. got to give me more than that. I'm not responding it to nice rain dance. It's a sad first message for sure. No, it was great. Back then, I thought it was great. Uh, Well, because that's who you were at the time. And that's the thing, right? It's like who you were at the time, you were able to connect on that piece. And if you're able to continue to grow together and find ways to connect with the new person that you are, and the new person that they that they are, you can continue to stay together. But like we have this unrealistic expectation that you are a finite person and you will continue to be the same person forever. And so will the other one. And so you're just wandering around. It's like, you know, you're just waiting for this other half of this puzzle piece to fit together because it's a very swoony romantic notion. It feels very special. We want to feel special. <laughs> you complete me. You complete a- me. You complete me. But now, if I even see that remotely on anyone's like uh, profile, I'll just, no. It's just... Looking for someone to complete? Did yes. they say that? Yes. I, I just <gasps> recently, like, like, I think I go, two days ago, I saw that. Looking was, for someone to complete me. Complete but missing puzzle piece. And I was just like, oh man, like, it's just, I don't know. Like You're a complete person. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm a complete person. Like, and if we are willing to grow in tandem together and like be, like, you know, understand like you're going to change, I'm going to change. And also long-term relationships are such like a recommitment over and over of different relationships of space that you're in. Like you're really like, I'm choosing this person. I'm choosing to stay here. I'm also noticing that you are respecting where I'm going and I'm respecting where you're going. And then together we are working on this thing. It's like, I'm working Mm -hmm. on this. You're working on that. We're working on this together over and over and over again. I mean, a lot of people want to know about like what books I recommend for people to read around relationships. You know, like there's Esther Perel and there's, you know, like Marty Klein. But I have a tattoo on my wrist of The Missing Piece Meets the Big O by Shel Silverstein. And I'm going to tell you right now, oh! that's the one everyone needs to read of read every that. age. Because <laughs> that's when you come to understand that you are... You are not a missing piece. Mm-hmm. You just haven't figured out how to pick yourself up and roll on your own. Oh, Ooh. I have not read that. I've never read that yeah, one. Yeah. <gasps> oh, gasp. But like the work of Shel Silverstein is all great. All of it. He even would do like cartoons for Playboy and they 
surprisingly hold up. <laughs> the Missing Piece Meets the Big O, I think, is one of the most important books because there's so many books I read as a kid that like later, not so great. I do think he did write The Giving Tree, which is bad. <laughs> That's just suspect. Well, really it's is. like about the a mess, people pleaser, basically. That, yeah. 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 That is a tree. Giving themselves up to this like jerky ass person. I want to make a house tree. Come on. Like, I want to just so read. I think it might be a metaphor for like parenting or something, but it's still That's not right. a good message. Yeah. And I think if anything, it should be taken as a warning. Mm -hmm. But like, That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That's my apologetics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have uh, where the sidewalk is on, on my back. And like that book to me has always just been the bee's knees. Like I, when I wanted a tattoo, I was like, I want to get that cover on my back because it just made so much sense to me in terms of like curiosity and like, you know, pushing that limit and basically yeah, mm -hmm. just taking a risk, you know? So I'm not going to lie. I was in a relationship with someone who told me that I was their missing puzzle piece. <laughs> Jerry Maguire, we were probably and, out. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it just gotcha. got me. Yeah. <laughs> well, because, and you know, the reason it got me was because there was a lot of healing that I still needed to do to recognize not just, you know, because the, the idea like, oh, we're complete, like we are, you know, and it's sometimes it's hard to latch on to those kind of bigger concepts mm -hmm. of like, you're complete, you're great how you are, like all these things. Mm -hmm. It's hard to embody that when it's this like higher principle, so to speak. And so for me, the idea of I am safe, you know, resourcing safety that I can not that I can take care of myself, I don't need anyone, but that I can be safe within myself and that I can resource that safety more from like a nervous system standpoint has been really healing in that relationship of needing to be someone's puzzle piece yeah. or needing, recognizing or thinking that I'm not complete without someone else. Mm -hmm. That's more for where it's come from me in a little bit more of a tangible way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an interesting, like, sort of delicate balance between needing to feel comfortable as a single person on your own and being able to love your life enough that you don't need, need, need a relationship. But at the same time, all healing takes place in relationships and humans do need relationships. That's not, they can be different types of relationships. If your needs are being met by like lots of different friendships and that kind of stuff, and you're good without dating, like by all means, but it's also like, it's okay to really, really want a romantic, sexual, loving relationship. It's okay to want that. That is a completely normal human desire. And we have different desires and to different degrees, but like, there's nothing wrong with like, no. <laughs> like wanting that kind of sensation, especially if you haven't already added a bunch. Like, I feel like sometimes I've been really fortunate that like, if something happened to my primary partner, like I probably would go a hot minute before I like, was trying to date anybody else. Cause I'm like, it's not like a job role that just needs to have someone there all the time. It's complimentary and it compliments you rather than completes you. I and mean, we think about this, we've had these discussions in our relationship, like if we ended, wow, how would we behave and, but, and been tearful, but it's always been like, we would be okay. I would be okay. Like you would be okay. I know you would. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I do. Well, and I think again, like that okayness has come from healing. Oh my God. So much work. That's where it's come from. It's absolutely okay to want a relationship. But I think a lot of times the reason that we want that is to distract ourselves from ourselves. And when that happens, when we do that, you know, that's the same thing with sex. We can use sex to distract ourselves from ourselves. I think that's where it can get, it's not bad. In my experience, it's not as authentic as really moving from that regulated 
connected space within myself. Mm -hmm. It's really shifted once I've done that. My relationship with sex, my relationship with others, my relationship with myself, my needs in relationships and how I try to get those needs met. Yeah. I'm just listening to you say that about like the ways that we use things to distance ourselves from ourselves. And I absolutely am like ding, ding, ding of myself. Like the, <laughs> all the little signs are, are going above me. Cause I'm like, I absolutely could not function as a very young person. Like as a teenager could not be single, just like incapable of it. Because like, who am I if I am not defined by whose like circle of friends I'm going to go be a part of? Because that's how I dated. It was like, I'm dating this person in their whole network. And like, this is how I'm going to define my life and how I'm going to spend all my time. And then outgrew that. But I found other things, right? And I think that in many ways, I still use like productivity and being busy as a way to never be alone. <laughs> like never, never sit with my feelings. And that's not great to avoid things. But also when I look back at the past and those things, I could either cringe at them and be like, oh, that's awkward. Or I could just be like, well, that was the coping strategy I used. And was it bad? No. Did I hurt anybody? I mean, not intentionally. <laughs> like, I think we're all fine now. Like, And that's okay. You can use whatever coping strategy you want to as long as you're not actively hurting anybody and you're not hurting. I mean, you can hurt yourself if you want to. It's your body. Like it's your life. But like, do you want to? I mean, you can find what is sustainable and works for you. I, coping strategies get a, a bad rap for what they do. They help us survive. Yeah, with, absolutely. With so much going on around us and like uh, culturally being fed all like these different messages. Life is hard and it is a lot. <laughs> like, and it comes in waves and there's high points and there's low points. And yeah, we start out and like, we don't know how to do shit. And, you know, we trip and then we don't, we don't know how to walk really. Then we start walking and we repeat that thing over and over again. And like, oh, I'm tying my shoe now. This is fantastic. Oh, I'm riding a bike now. This is great. And we like, we move through the world with such like, you know, like lightness. And then all of a sudden it's just like you hit middle school when it's just like, oh, God, like <laughs> I'm being judged so hard. Like I personally was, I was a late bloomer, like for sure. Like I, it took me a long time to find, find myself grounded in myself. Like mm -hmm. absolutely. And then this relationship is the most I've ever felt grounded in myself and feeling like I, I'm allowed to be me. I mean, even though there's there been moments where it's been like a little bit of pushback, but it's been important for me to push through those and like fight for that, you know? Yeah. And there's space for that. Yeah. And there's the, space you, for that. You give me space for that. Even if there's a pushback, if, if there's pushback, because people yeah. are so accustomed to me showing up in a very particular way. Like people are used to Nick being happy, go lucky. And the moment I show any heat or like anger, it's just like, oh my God, Nick, what is this? So life is a lot. <laughs> and I think that coping strategies and coping mechanisms are absolutely helpful. And I think the issue that comes in yeah. is when it's time to let go of them sometimes and we cling. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of the work that I do with people, you know, and is that, is this this idea of, oh, this really served me and I am so grateful for it. No, no, like, you know, being with any shame that comes up, releasing that if possible, you know, allowing for all those feelings to come up, but to be like, oh, and something, there's a dissonance now and I want to create a change. And so in order to create that change, oftentimes the coping mechanisms need to shift or to fall away or to change. I think that's where it gets sticky for people. Oh yeah. People don't like changing, period. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> it's painful shit. All change and all growth is really painful. And like, it's also really interesting because we keep talking about how like you're supposed to just find some person like click like puzzle pieces, but like 
this is like the idea of like family systems theory that like if one person does change and they heal and they get better or they start taking care of their physical health or whatever, it often creates an incredible amount of conflict in their existing relationships because necessarily other people will have to change in some way too. And if they're not ready for it, it can be jarring and there can be a lot of fear that you'll be abandoned or that you will suddenly no longer be good enough or like any of those kind of things. So yeah, we just have to like approach life more from a perspective of like the only constant is change. As long as you continue to find things that you connect on, like this is a non-sexual situation, but I have friends where their lives have changed in such dramatic ways. Like maybe they had kids, they moved away and I still want to keep them in my life, but we are not going to be able to hang out the way we used to. We just are not. We're not physically in the same space. They don't have the capacity and the schedule they used to. So we have to find some other way to connect. And it might be, we just like leave each other Marco Polo videos that you can check at, at your leisure. Or maybe we have to schedule a specific like trip to spend time together. Or maybe we have to shift to just, you know, whatever it is, whatever it is to make it work. And that's true of every relationship because we will not stay the same person for very long. Hopefully. <laughs> constantly, constantly shifting. And so in relationship to sex, how does this kind of fit in? Because a lot of what you're saying can be applied mm. to our relationship with sex and even take it back a step this is a big question, <laughs> but how is so much of what we think about sex? Like, why? Why are we where we are right now in what we think about sex and how we relate to each other and, and these very strict rules about what is good and what is bad? So according to the founder of like the program where I got my degree, Dr. William Staten, he has a, a PhD and a THD. So he's a doctorate of theology as well. And from his work, he basically came up with this framework that most belief systems around sexuality are either built around the idea that there's like a very specific type of sex that's okay because it's procreative and like, you know, it is good sex if it is specifically going to lead to having children in this very specific capacity, or you get a framework where it's all about connectedness and like anything is fine as long as it is connected and communicative between the people. And he says that most of us actually get sort of a mixture of the two. Like very few people are hardline one or the other. And so these are basically the frameworks through which all of us are operating is what he's saying. And so if we just have a narrow framework for it and we don't spend all day thinking about this kind of stuff, like I just happen to have the leisure to do because <laughs> it's my job, <laughs> then very, very rarely do these things get questioned. And so we will look at sex either from this very like, am I following the rules? Am I good or bad? And then I will also look at it from the question of like, am I performing well? Is this either like meeting my performance desires of a partner or am, do I win the race <laughs> for best in bed or whatever? Those kind of things. And then we just tend to like focus on that framework. And then we're so encouraged to think about like market value in dating and this very capitalist perspective that like get the best deal you can with what you have to offer. We end up looking at these through these frameworks and then we judge ourselves on whether we meet that or don't. And I just want us to think about sex more from a framework of the same as like you do with conversation. And not that it's the same thing. It's not a one-to-one. -one. But like I've had conversations with people on planes that I never saw again. I still remember it. It was real good. It was like a really good conversation. <laughs> Most of the time, I don't want to talk to you on a plane. 
(laughs) (laughs) And then I've had conversations with friends that like I knew for years and years and years, but we just happened to be in the right time and a space for something that was really deeply connective and healing. And we were able to tap into something that for that 45 minutes, for that three hours was life changing. And then other times I'll have a conversation with that same person that is like, whatever. (laughs) It's the same thing with sex, right? Like you can have depth or shallow connection at any point with any person. It has to do with like circumstances and intention. And that's cool. That's all cool. It's not good or bad just because it was shallow or, you know, just because it was temporary. Like that's my approach. Look at sex like a conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm gonna chew on that for a little bit. I'm like, mm-hmm. That was clean. That made so much sense. To me. I've also had like really dumb chit chat just to fill the time, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's fine too. And like sometimes that sucks a little bit out of your soul, but it was like necessary to get. <laughs> you know, it was just like required at the time. And like, I think when we talk about like sex work, for instance, we could definitely think about it that way because like sometimes you just have to do small talk with a person you don't actually really love. <laughs> yeah. You know, this starts to break down the box of shame that we have around us around sex. Like now coming from someone who teaches Tantra and sex and sacred sexuality and things of that nature, the intention of whatever it is you choose to connect with is important. And, you know, I'm in a space right now where I am very intentional with my sex and it needs to be very particular because of the path of healing that I'm on right now. And you can have that with someone that you've met two hours ago. Like it's possible to have that connected of an experience. And just like that conversation that you're talking about, you can meet someone like the stars align, so to speak, doesn't mean your soulmates, but the stars align. And you're just like, damn, like I feel really connected to this person. Like why question it? And I'm going to have this amazing conversation or I'm going to, you know, fuck their brains out and it's going to be transcended in any kind of way. It's just going to bring me amazing pleasure and I'm going to feel safe with this person and they're going to meet these needs that I might have. And it just clicks. Why is that any less special or powerful or magical or whatever you want to call it than someone, you know, two people having sex on their wedding night, you know, and like, it's not. That's sacred. I mean, it can all be sacred. It's it's all sacred, but it also brings like, it's just a lot of light on the fact that no matter what time or length of time our connections are, it's all valid. It's all valid. It's all sacred. And it's sacred and it's not. Yeah. It's whatever. (laughs) We're like in agreement. (laughs) We're we're all just like. "Mm." We're in agreement. So have sex. Don't have sex. Have sex with somebody you just met. Have sex with someone you've been with and waited to have sex with for five years. Do what you want. That's the point of this. Have fun. Do live your what life. You want and live your fucking life. Don't overthink that shit. So let's move on to some, I was going to say quick and dirty. I don't usually call it that, but I felt inspired today to uh, some right. quick and dirty questions. Quick and dirty. <laughs> we should like have like some theme music or something, like a button we can hit. It's like quick and dirty. We're uh, not in a studio. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be cool. <laughs> I'm okay, so, you know, brief if you can, but if you want to, you know, some of these, it might be fun to expand upon. Yeah. Okay. So something that makes you belly laugh. Oh, Tumblr memes at like one in the morning. <laughs> so specific. <laughs> so got it. Because <laughs> it happens. I'll get the giggles and it's just like, I'm the most annoying or delightful person in the world <laughs> for about 40 minutes and then I'm too tired and I gotta go to sleep. <laughs> go to bed, Timmery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
What are you currently struggling with? Mm, Wow. Making time for rest. I think I've managed to carve out like getting enough sleep, but that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's a good start. It's a good start. So if there was one kink act that you could choose for the rest of your life, you would just, you just had to commit to one, what would it be? Wow. I think I have really come to enjoy like fire play. I do a show called Safe Word. That's a kink burlesque show. And then the next show we have coming up, I'm doing some fire moose and some electro play. Did you say fire moose? Yeah. So basically it's like hair moose that like the cheaper stuff has a really high alcohol content. So you can spray it on a person's skin. I don't recommend people trying this at home unless you have like some degree of like, you know, like safety setup and like some knowledge of these things. But yeah, so the top that's going to be doing it to me for the show, for instance, he'll just like cover a big patch of skin in some sort of pattern with moose with hair moose set it on fire and then it just like burns up really quickly because it's so full of alcohol and so you get to feel it on your skin but because it burns so quickly it doesn't like burn the skin itself necessarily although you might feel like you were shaved the next day like yeah all my peach fuzz is gone (laughs) a fire moose i was like like, what's that (laughs) i know what this is but you know i feel like some of our audience might not what's electro play Uh, So like stimulation using some sort of like electrical current. So for instance, we'll be using the top that I'll be working with is Sir Biss. And he has like a ton of electricity devices that will give you either little zaps or like a lot of current. Also, we'll have like a violet wand where like, for instance, I will hold on to a metal rod that's connected to this basically like electric current that he can control. And then he can do stuff to my skin and I'll feel it on the skin or someone else can come in and touch my skin and then they can feel the electric current. So like, depending on what kind of sensation you want, you could use like little metal tinsel things. You could use something that's more of like a scraping sensation, like for something sharper, but just like the flow through your body will be that you'll feel an intense amount of electric sensation wherever it is that that contact's happening. So I personally love this. Super fun. Next question. If you can have a power, superpower, what would it be? Shape-shifting? Shape-shifting. I think it enables you to do so many other things. Like, you can sneak into places, you can get information. Like, I don't know. I think Mystique, the X-Men character, is... (laughs) (laughs) Like, I totally see that for you, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. If you could have a threesome with two famous people, living or dead, they don't have to be real, okay? They can be, like, a character, like, whatever. Who would they be? Oh my God, I have so many answers and so many answers. I mean, at the current moment, what comes to mind first is Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth. What have they been in? What have they been in? So he's Thor. She's going to be Thor. She's Valkyrie. Um, Would probably be their most famous roles. They were actually in like a very bad Men in Black movie together that did not do well. Yeah, they are are lovely. I'm so bad with names. And then like, uh, give me some like features and drop me some hints of what they've been like. Got it. Yeah, yeah, they're super handsome people. Yeah. I want somebody to to, like, I'm waiting for someone to say like Gumby or like (laughs) Winnie the Pooh. Is that like weird though? Because Winnie the Pooh is an It doesn't matter. No, that might be weird. I don't know. I'm I'm waiting for someone to say like, you know, or like Jesus. Winnie the Pooh be tearing that honey up. Winnie the Pooh be tearing that honey up. Like, 
Maleficent, maybe. Yeah. In terms of fictional characters. Yeah. I could definitely deal with Maleficent. Oh, um, that would be very kinky, I feel like. And then it's like terrible. Timothy Chalamet's character in Dune. Oh. oh. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for fulfilling my need, Tim Ray. <laughs> or his mom. Not together. Not together. Not together. Not together. In fact, if one happened, I'd probably draw a line and say, well, it's not going to happen with the other one, just for boundaries reasons. These are chaos thing. One or the other. One or the other. Yeah. One or the other. Thank you. I I needed that. Yeah. The Maleficent. Well, that would be. She'd be. I mean, she could be. I was thinking she would be a fierce top, but she could be a bottom. Who knows? You know, maybe like just that intensity all the time. Maybe she wants, you know, just to let go. Watch her turn out to be like a pillow princess. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine? (laughs) Like, wait. Oh, word. Like, I'll show you about that. That's good. (laughs) Sure. I like it. I feel like that's just as likely as anything. Yeah. (laughs) Like a little, all the mugs first. She's like, yes. What's your love language? Oh, man. I very much pride myself on my ability to get very specific gifts that are for that person and meaningful. I have not been very good at it lately. But like, for instance, for my fiance is the biggest fan of this obscure comic book character, Man-Thing. But up here is a commissioned Man-Thing where he has my partner's glasses and it was drawn and painted by one of the artists who made man thing comics wow so that's impressive stuff like that what about receiving what's your receiving love language you know what i feel when i think about it either like quality time or acts of service mean a lot to me like my partner is really 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 good about like you know editing flyers for me and you know making videos and we do photo shoots together and it's like, it's a way that we can have fun together. And it's also useful for me. And it just is like, so it's a mixture of like, you know, an activity that we can both enjoy. And then it's like, thank you for doing that. That's really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. If you could have sex anywhere in the world, again, it doesn't have to be real. It can be. Where would it be? Well, apparently now on Arrakis with either Timothy Chalamet <laughs> or it's mine, the desert I planet guess. with the spice. I guess. <laughs> yeah. The spice. <laughs> I guess that's the answer. Right? Like, and oh, then Zendaya can thing? show up. You know? Yeah, if Zendaya shows up in the mix, also, she is welcome. She's welcome. <laughs> I mean, she's a child. I mean, both of these people are children. Like, I don't mean to be creepy. Like, I am re- looking respectfully. They grow. <laughs> <laughs> They're both grown. <laughs> they're they're adults. Yeah. They're adults. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. This is your, this fa- is this is your fantasy. You, okay. you guys okay. like the nobody. I said Winnie the Pooh. So, <laughs> I mean, for the record, it's not, I would not want to have a threesome with Winnie the Pooh and Gumby. Well, why why Gumby, not? Actually, I'm like, Gumby, Gumby can, whenever I have said, like, I want somebody else, I go to Gumby, and which is strange. So, I don't know if I have an attraction to Gumby. I think it's just the flexibility, which, Ooh. you know, because maybe if, like, Gumby is sure. flexible, like in their body. Maybe they're also flexible, like in their minds. In their body. <laughs> mm. So the mm-hmm. line, the mm-hmm. points mm-hmm. you're drawing. Just saying. This is amazing. Well, it makes sense to me. This does. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to fuck Winnie the Pooh. Okay, you be, be tearing that honey up. You be tearing that honey. Up. Oh my god. I guess I do have another one that I'm just going to say. So Kate Blanchett's character from Ocean's Eight. Yes. Oh yeah. yes. Kate Blanchett. Period. Though actually. Yeah. <laughs> 
but like there's something that happened both to me and to her where I now find her way hotter because if I go back and look at her when she was younger she's like pretty enough but I don't think I saw the edge that she has now and maybe she didn't let the edge come out until she was like hella again in Thor <laughs> then I was like oh I, see oh. This. I like it okay. I know yeah. what you're talking about I feel I can feel it in my body right yeah. now there's like a, a boss ass bitch like quality oh speaking of oh that's who I would what from Ted Lasso <gasps> yes <gasps> Oh my God, I have such a crush on Ted Lasso. Yes. Not Jason Sudeikis, Ted Lasso. Lasso. <laughs> Mine would be um, Hannah. Hannah, what's her? Rebecca. Rebecca. Oh my Hannah God. Hannah Waddington. Yeah. <gasps> Just two Rebeccas, please. I'm good. So, Just two Rebeccas. She's so fierce. Mm. Yeah, I would clone her and then I would have a threesome. <laughs> <laughs> That whole cast, honestly, that whole cast. Oh, Roy and oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. How could we forget? Oh, God. Oh, Roy. Well, I mean, Nate's a little bit on the shit list right now. I unless he like you know we'll see what happens in the third season <sighs> so exciting that show is- he's going darth vader he really is this show has so much heart <laughs> he has so much heart it has so oh. much heart it's great okay what is romance for you mm. yeah things that i didn't specifically have to ask for it can be small like as a person who's like lived with a partner for long enough it's like the small stuff like having come home and like something's taken care of in the house that I didn't have to ask for is just like really, really sweet, you know, that kind of stuff. And of course, like grand gestures are lovely too, but like, I know that that's not realistic all the time. And and sometimes the impact is pretty similar because it's just about the thought and about the kindness that is showing, yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. And like feeling, feeling seen, feeling heard by whatever those actions are. Yeah. I love that. So Timory, what do you got going on? What do you want to tell us about before we wrap? So I have a a fair amount going on. A lot of it's burlesque related. I have like, I'm not sure when this is going to go, but I've got like burlesque 101 workshops that are this weekend. And then I've got like a lot of burlesque shows that are coming up, including, as I mentioned, the kink burlesque show Safe Word is going to be the Sunday, the 6th of March. I've got a show called Philadelphia Burlesque Battle Royale, which is basically like a project runway, but for burlesque. So I'm one of the the lead instructors and then there's a new crop of performers and and they're given a challenge every week and they make a new act and then there's like a winner at the end of the season and stuff but it's basically just about all of them getting onboarded and and learning and having a good time and networking with each other so that'll be running on wednesdays at taboo starting march 2nd and it'll go through may 11th so those are all things you can find all of that at drtimarie.com all of my events and all of my articles i'm writing and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. wonderful thank you so much for being here this was so fun thank you Absolute yeah treat. thank you for having me it was nice to see you all I'm so happy that the conversation of having sex with a Ted Lasso cast came into this conversation. I said that somewhere else for sure. I feel like, how could I not, we not have talked about fucking the Ted Lasso cast sooner is, I don't know. Tear it up. (laughs) I mean, just, especially Rebecca. Like, I just, I feel so charged up by that. Oh, it's very charge worthy. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of times... And this is like a lot of the work that I do is even is like, oh, we're going to talk about sex, sex, sex. And then it's like, yeah, we're going to talk about sex, but it's not always direct. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was a lot of this conversation. Right, like yeah. the foundation was still from was sex. Yeah. But like, that's the thing. 
sex is in everything. Everything. Everything, right? Like it's, you know, this idea that procreation and marriage and relationships and feeling complete within ourselves, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that conversation went the way it did because sex is in everything. Yeah. Sex is in everything. Intimacy is in everything. No, I, I think that sex is I do. I think that your sister once said something to me, and hopefully we'll get her on the podcast at some point. We're going to cut up <laughs> on that, on that oh, episode yeah. for sure. You know, she said to me one time, I remember we were at their place in New York. I think she was doing my eye makeup. This was a while back. And she said, everyone is either moving towards sex or away from sex. Yeah, she dropped some knowledge. Yeah, and I was just like, I can still feel that in my body. I don't even think I un- like understood, and still like to to exp- like, what does that mean with my mind? I don't even know if I could tell you, but with my body, I was like, yes, I felt that in my mind and my body. <laughs> I was just like, get it up. Get, he's like reaching his finger out. Straight ahead. This is a podcast. Get, People are listening, not get, looking. Get, get it up. <laughs> but yeah, and I think that's where it comes from me saying that everything's in sex. Yeah. Because it is. It's a part of, you know, the repression, the way it's used to control, the way, you know, all that stuff. I think that we... And not the like the trope of like, oh, people like men are thinking about sex 24-7. But we're all thinking about it. I think we're all thinking about it to some degree. It doesn't have to be like sex, like penetrative sex. But I think this like, I think sex is pervasive Mm. and it permeates everything. It does. That's what I'm saying. Thank you so much for listening. Follow Dr. Timory at Timba Ling Ling on Instagram. That's T-I-M-B-A-L-I-N-G-L-I-N-G. Follow her on Twitter at Timory underscore Lee. Timory is spelled T-I-M-A-R-E-E. And check out her website at drtimory.com. Follow me at sexually underscore liberated on Instagram. And check out my website at brittanypolacastro.com. Follow me at Nick Anthony Photo on Instagram. And check out my website at nickanthony.com. Editing by Audionauts. Music by Greta Hotmer. And please, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast. Help spread the kitchen table love. Please, please, please. Please. Until next time. 